Hey, it's Madison, the Black Eagle, and here's a highlight from today's show. I am uh, extremely pleased and proud to be here and be a part of this event today. Um, I'm extremely pleased and, I, and honored to introduce our speaker today, uh, someone that I have followed for a great deal of my life. And um, I want you to know that, uh, Mr. Madison, that there are a number of parallels and intersections uh, in our lives uh, that uh, uh, I will comment on very briefly uh, because uh, uh, I have followed your path and my path has been very similar. Um, there are a number of ways to describe our speaker. Uh, I'm not going to read his two, three page bio to you. Uh, many of you are very familiar with uh, Joe Madison uh, and uh, the fact that uh, he's an outstanding radio personality, an activist. Uh, but there are a number of things that I think characterize and reflect and help us understand who he really is. Uh, and one of those phrases that I think can best capture this man is, is one of those over the course of his years on this earth, who's actually walked the talk. Dr. Roberts, you were right. There are a lot of leaders that uh, we can follow uh, and uh, understand how they achieved leadership status. Uh, but when it comes to social justice, economic justice, uh, civil rights and activism, we can count the handful of people who actually walk the talk. And so in addition to being uh, a radio personality, he's an immense civil rights activist and has been for many, many, many years. Joe, we share a couple things that uh, uh, beyond our connection to the NAACP, I have been a part of the Saginaw branch for almost 30, 35 years of my life. In the last four years, I've served as president of our branch. And prior to that, I served in other leadership roles with the branch of the NAACP here in Saginaw. But I, I see that uh, you attended Washington University where you were an all-conference running back. I went to Western Michigan University here in Michigan and was the captain of Western's track team, was an all-conference uh, sprinter. Uh, for the Mid-American Conference and my university. Uh, your bio indicates that you are a baritone soloist uh, and you performed in your choir. Um, some of you in this room know that Terry Pruitt has some singing talent. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so there's another parallel. Um, but uh, this, this young man uh, um, has, has, throughout his career, posed the question to many of us, what are you gonna do about the problem that you're presenting to me and to others? What will your role be in trying to help to solve the problem? This is an individual who has walked the talk. This is an individual who has picked up the mantle and said, I'm going to do something about it. So he's led the demonstrations. He's been willing to be arrested. He's been willing to confront the CIA uh, and the whole, and, and the issues around the Sudanese people and their hunger problems. And as we stand here today, we need to salute this man because he is in the middle of a, almost a two month hunger strike in support of passage of the voting rights bill uh, in Washington. And all of us need to be challenged by that because we need to be picking up the phones and talking to our elected leadership and trying to understand why we can't get that important piece of legislation passed, the John Lewis bill and the For the People Act. We need both of those pieces of legislation at the federal level because it will combat a lot of what we see going on throughout this country and in certain states right here in Michigan and I'm sure you're aware of this, Mr. Madison, but there's a campaign to collect signatures to create 
some reforms in our election system that many of us feel are a step backwards, not a step forward. That there are things going on and um, in the vein of walking the talk, I've encouraged our leadership with the NAACP to push back. We've worked with Representative Amos O'Neill, our 95th District uh, State Representative, to talk about some things. And uh, as recently as yesterday, we are uh, going to be up, upping our game in terms of the campaign to discourage, especially people in our community, signing those petitions because all they do is present an opportunity for our Republican legislators to do an end run around the vetoes of our governor when we all know that many of the tactics and the reforms that are being proposed will only serve to lessen our ability to vote and participate in our democracy. So I think that uh, uh, with those words, I think we ought to be able to welcome an outstanding civil rights leader, someone who stands strong in the name of justice, equality, and fairness, someone who's spent his entire life working and fighting the battle for all of us. Ladies and gentlemen, I introduce to you at this time an outstanding leader, Mr. Joe Madison, the Black Eagle. And, and let me say, Mike, I am now in a very difficult uh, position because I have been listening to probably some of the most outstanding remarks that I have heard before a keynote speaker <laughs> begins. Um, I, I, I could have actually sat here for a, 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 even longer. All of you seem who have spoken <clears throat> from the young man, isn't it impressive when you think about it? He started his own magazine and, 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 and what, he's not even, what, 16 years old? I, I, I forgot his age. I can't even begin to um, think, what was I doing at the age of 13, 14, or 16? And it certainly wasn't uh, about starting my own magazine. Um, I want to say uh, thank you, uh, uh, Madam Mayor Moore. I, um, I really wish that I could have uh, traveled to, uh, to Saginaw. We had planned for this to be in person so that we could all meet and, and greet each other. Um, but there's, a, a, as you heard, I'm in the middle of, uh, of the 61st day of a hunger strike. And let me, let me just explain that there are some physical challenges. Um, um, I started off November 8th. I started off November 8th uh, at, at about 194 pounds. And um, as of uh, yesterday, uh, I'm down to now like 171. Uh, and I was teasing a, a friend of mine. That was what I weighed in, in, in high school. Um, and people, and, and, and again, it's not about weight loss. Believe me, there are easier ways to lose weight than uh, not to eat any solid food, but let me let me just explain this for 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 a moment. There was all of this discussion about do we or do we not carve out the filibuster, which, by the way, isn't in the Constitution. Um, I'm I'm somewhat of a history buff. I'm not a, hist a historian. I don't pretend to be a scholar. My good friend. Uh, Professor Henry Louis Gates, he does that very well. I'm a student of him. Every time I have him on my show, I really feel like I owe him tuition. Um, but I, I began thinking about what happened 
after a seven-year experiment we call the first reconstruction and, and, and the 14th, 15th Amendment, which gave former slaves the uh, gave former slaves the right to vote. And it was enforced primarily by uh, former General Ulysses S. Grant, who got elected president. Of course, women could not vote. And, and, and black soldiers who served in the Union Army um, overwhelmingly supported their interest and supported uh, then uh, supported Grant and he became president of the United States and he protected their right to vote by making sure that federal troops were in former Southern Confederate states. And these individuals for about a seven year, eight year period, um, they ran for public office. You had, you had former slaves that, be, that became US senators, became members of the House of Representatives. In South Carolina, they were elected overwhelmingly to the state legislature. And, and, and they ran, they, they served, they got elected and served as members of the Board of Education. They established uh, colleges. Um, they held local offices. And then there came a presidential election and a candidate by the name of Rutherford B. Hayes. And it was interesting because there was a contested election and it was thrown into the House of Representatives. And the, the, um, the Southerners who are from former Confederate states who served in the House of Representatives after the, after the uh, Civil War saw their entire world, their entire culture turned upside down. All of a sudden you had men who were slaveholders who are now sitting in legislative seats next to former slaves, they're former slaves. Their world had been turned upside down. Rutherford B. Hayes, who by the way, was from Ohio, um, and I'm not gonna get into arguing who was a Republican, who was a Democrat, we know the history. Most of the Southerners, legislators were Democrats, and then there, was the, there were the Republicans primarily in the, in the North, and, I, and if we start arguing about that, then it turns into the uh, kind of talk show that I tried to avoid, uh, to be quite candid, because history has it changed. And he cut a deal. And the deal was, we will give you our vote. We'll solve this contested presidential election. They called it the Hayes-Tilden Compromise. And, and, and he asked, well, what do you want? And he, they said, remove the federal troops from, the, uh, from these Southern states. And he agreed to that. And by the way, he talking about the importance of one vote. He actually won that presidency by one vote in the House of Representatives. And almost immediately after removing the protection of the federal troops, immediately the Klan was born. In South Carolina, they, they created something called um, uh, rifle clubs. And they immediately started assassinating elected officials, uh, lynchings. Uh, they the, controlled the, the, controlled the the Supreme Court, we ended up catching a hundred years of hell as uh, African-Americans and other minorities in particular, but particularly African-Americans. We ended up, for example, with um, Plessy versus Ferguson, who by the way, just uh, yesterday or the day before, the governor of Louisiana, 125 years later, pardoned Homer 
Homer Plessy. He finally got a, a posthumously a pardon. And by the way, that, that, that was a, you want to talk about a, a trial, that was a, that, that, that case was deliberate. Plessy deliberately, who had, by the way, one drop of black blood. That's how that whole thing got started. In, in this one drop uh, notion. He had, he, if Plessy would walk into where you, everyone is now, you, he could pass as we would often say. But he knew that this case had to go to the Supreme Court and it did. And we ended up, because of what happened with Rutherford B. Hayes, we ended up with, with the separate but equal a law which in essence gave way to black codes, uh, voter suppression, and, and again, it didn't get resolved until 1965. The irony is that more you had Republicans and Democrats that voted overwhelmingly for voter protection. And then even in 19, in, in, 20, in 2007, when you had a, a, a Republican president, George W. Bush, 98 members of the, uh, of, of the Senate actually supported stronger voting rights that, were, that extended the voting rights for over 25 years that are stronger than what's in the two uh, bills uh, right now. And, and I'll refer to them as the uh, voting rights bills, the John Lewis bill, the right to vote bill. And so I always like to start with history. And I sat and I thought of, as I was doing my show, and I, I kept thinking about, you know, this doesn't make sense. We're arguing over a filibuster rule that, by the way, has been carved out 160 times since 1960. They just recently carved out the, the filibuster rule uh, to, in, to increase the uh, debt ceiling. And two senators are holding it up, two votes right now, two votes. And, 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 and thank you so much. Mr. President, because it was because of the NAACP. Now, let me tell you about, again, the importance of an organist, all our organizations. But the NAACP did a, a scorecard. And by the way, one of your senators, who has been frequently on my show, he got an incomplete because for some reason, whatever his position was on the filibuster didn't get recorded. Well, let me tell you something. When the NACP exposed that scorecard, I got a call immediately from, from that senator who said, oh no, uh, let me tell you, I'm with you. And right now there are 50 senators in, that are, are ready to pass this bill. And it's being held up because, not because of a constitutional question, but because of a rule that's in, in the Senate. And so it, 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 for me, it was fundamental. And then I, I had a great mentor in my life. His name was Dick Gregory. And Dick and I, we, we've been involved in so many activities and demonstrations. And I, I started to channel him. And, and I kept asking myself, well, what, would, what would Dick Gregory do? What would Dick do if, if, if we, were, we were caught in this moment and, and time and needed to get these bills passed to prevent what you just described? What you just described is happening in the state of Michigan and it's happening in Arizona and it's happening in, I think it's 49 states, there are over 500 voter suppression bills that had been introduced. What would Dick do? And I got with his son, Christian Gregory, who had gone through several hunger strikes and fast with him. And, and the first thing Christian said to me was, first thing Dick, I can tell you what he wouldn't do, he wouldn't ask for permission to do anything. 
he would do it. And, 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 and that's when I decided I wanted to join in solidarity with organizations. And that's, that's really what your purpose is today. It's, it's, to, it's to create solidarity. Everybody has different responsibilities. Everybody has different organizations, different missions, different budgets, uh, different challenges. But at, at some point you come together, you consolidate your, your efforts. And, and so I participated in a demonstration in front of the White House to put pressure on President Biden. Because the one thing I, I hope that and, and you, you will understand as you go through your, this, this, this process, I learned this a long time ago from a congressman, of, a retired congressman, I think he's almost 100 years old, William Clay Saint out of St. Louis, uh, one of the founders of the Congressional Black Caucus. He wrote a book called Permanent Interest. And I would, again, feel free to take notes or whatever. Uh, and, 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 but he had a saying, in politics, there are no permanent friends or permanent enemies. In politics, there is only permanent interest. And, 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 and so, um, so I demonstrated in front of the White House. Melanie Campbell. Uh, leading a group of, of civil rights activists and women uh, have marched on and been arrested. She just got arrested yesterday uh, in front of uh, 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 on Capitol Hill. Um, the uh, the, uh, the uh, chairwoman who I went to high school with, uh, Congresswoman Beatty, um, she, she, after the House passed the bill and sent it to the Senate, she took a group of of, of legislative, of congressional women and men, and they ended up demonstrating in, on, on, on the Senate side of, of Capitol Hill. Uh, a group of young uh, students uh, from Arizona decided they were going to go on a hunger strike. They didn't ask permission. The next thing I look up, they're flying from Phoenix, Arizona, uh, here to Washington, D.C. Uh, lobbying uh, 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 Senator Sinema. Um, and, and that's why on my show every day, I always ask the question, after all the talking is done, after all the discussion, no matter what you have to say, I always ask the question, what are you going to do about it? And you, it's amazing. I hear, we call it in, 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 in my business, we call it, you hear crickets. You, you, because people don't know how to respond to that initially. Now folks are kind of getting around to it. And the reason I ask that question is because, and this is the kind of discussion I hope that you'll have. Everybody can do something. Look what the owner of the Michigan Banner did who got together with a bishop, who got together with a reverend, who got together with this organization and that organization. Now I can't do what a publisher and the owner of a, of a newspaper does. Uh, and I certainly cuss too much to do what bishops and reverends do, but you know, I do put a dollar in the cuss jar. I won't today, I won't, I, I know better to do it today, but. Uh, but but I do donate the money to charity, and I have had the blessing of uh, the Episcopal Bishop. As long as the money goes to charity, he's okay with it. Just just pray for me. But I say that, and 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 and. But the point is, as you're talking and discussing, remember everybody can do something. Bottom line is, most people, quite honestly, don't do. Uh, don't do anything, and and so and there's a and so that was how I decided to decide. I've got to up the game, so that as I as I close on this 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 issue about the hunger strike, it's a form of protest. The purpose of the hunger strike is to draw attention. 
uh, to the issue. And if people see, whether it's me or the Gregory or whoever it might be, hunger strikes have been used as a form of political protest for, for centuries. And if people say, well, wait a minute, he, he is sacrificing his health or his body for this cause, then what can I do? And just yesterday, when I was, I must admit, after 60 days yesterday, I was, I, I was kind of low. It was not a good day. And, 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 and there were physical challenges that I won't bore you with. But the reverends, the ministers in the room will understand this. There's and and I don't want to sound like a theologian or, or a minister, but you know, there's something that's interesting. God works in mysterious ways. At, at, at what was probably my lowest point, my lowest weight loss, uh, different things were changing physically and mentally for me. God sent better angels. And there was an announcement made that over a dozen prominent ministers announced yesterday that they were going on a hunger strike for 11 days until this bill hopefully is passed or, or voted on on King's birthday. And even though uh, it's been non-solid foods, um, it lifted physically, it lifted my spirits and it and and it, it it was a reminder to hang in there. Hang in there. When it seems you're at your lowest, when it seems like you're not winning, when it seems like it's time to give up, you know, it's like just like you know, I channeled Dick Bravery and and I said to myself, I, well, I'll be. And, and, and uh, I, they didn't call me. They didn't ask me. It, it, it just, it, it, this is, I, I think this is why this is a, a divine effort on the part of all of us. So, so if, if people, and particularly young people, particularly whoever you are, if you can, if you say, well, if he can sacrifice food, and, and this is the position I took, that just as food is essential to life, the vote is essential to, just as food is essential to maintaining life, the vote is essential to maintaining democracy. There's no if, ands, buts about it. And there is no way that when the historians Maybe some of you in this room, in this, within this Zoom, when the historians write about what happened during this period of what some of us call the second reconstruction, I don't want my children or my grandchildren or, or, or my, or, or my great-grandchild to ask, well, what did Papa do about it? What did you do about it? And so that's the approach that I took. And I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know if it was going to take 30 days. I don't know whether it would take 60 days. I don't know to this day. I don't know what Joe Manchin is going to do. I don't know what Christian cinema is going to do. But I know they have a political, moral, patriotic responsibility not to worry so much about a Senate rule, but they need to worry about what we had to recognize yesterday. There were people who tried to destroy this country and everything we, it's, it has stood for. We went through too much hell during the first, at the end of the first reconstruction. We fought to, people sacrificed more than food for the right to vote. And so, you know, I can sacrifice uh, solid food. It, you know, it's, it's, uh, I never knew there were so many different broths out there, 
Um, I can sacrifice solid food. When I think about, when I think about the three college students, Goodman, Schwarner, and Cheney, two white men, one black man. When I think about what they did to them, and they were simply registering people to vote. When I think about NAACP, Mr. President, uh, the Moore family on Christmas night, uh, these haters, these white supremacists planted dynamite under his house and 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 blew up his house. He 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 died. He was president of the of the of an NAACP chapter in Florida, and he died on the way to the hospital. His wife died uh, nine days later. They blew up his his house all because he had been involved in registering people to vote, involved in fighting police brutality. He was one of the first martyrs. Of the of the NAACP, that's sacrifice, and and so I, I I start with the premise, and and you'll hear this throughout what I'm going to mention, and that is some some time ago, someone was asked uh, a professor Ron Walters, the late professor Ron Walters, of uh, uh, he was the chairman of the Howard University Political Science Department. He was a guest lecturer at Fisk University. And one of the, and, he's, and he, he, was, he was telling students that he appreciated their involvement, uh, their demonstrations, but he said, you know, those are just moments. They're just moments. You've got to turn a moment into a movement. And one of the students asked him, well, what's the difference between a moment and a movement? And he said that um, all movements require sacrifice. That's the difference between a moment and a movement. All movements require sacrifice. And so I say, as you have this moment, this initial effort, you've got to decide before you leave today, are we willing to do all the things that were mentioned in the prelude to the beginning of uh, this program? What are we willing to sacrifice? Because if you, because it's, this has, today has to be more than just a moment. Now, having said that, I'm going to suggest, and I understand the mythology of the symbolism of the phoenix, but let me give you a different perspective. I think you ought to think like an eagle. A little self-serving on my part, uh, but I think you ought to think like an eagle because the, the eagle flies above the storm. The eagle can see ahead. Uh, Reverend, the late Reverend C.L. Franklin, great sermon, and, and the ministers know this. That sermon was given back in 1951, I believe. The eagle stirreth the nest, and 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 one of the, and one of the themes of that is that is that sometimes we get too comfortable. You know, the young eaglets they get comfortable because they're in a nice warm nest, and so the, the 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 adult eagles they stir the nest so that the thorns stick through, and these little baby eagles decide I get out of this nest. And 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 they they so and and this is what's happening, you know what what see what happened was and in a way, in, in a strange way, what happened a year ago, with the domestic terrorism we experienced, it really might have been God's way, of stirring the nest. We were too comfortable. 
not, you know, too many people didn't go to vote. They weren't politically involved. And so maybe in a strange way, this was God stirring the nest. And yesterday, finally, the president of the United States spoke truth to power. There is truth and there are lies. And it's not hard to distinguish between the uh, two. Now, having said that, let me share with you, uh, 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 and, and, I want, and what I want to try to do quickly is, is, is be instructional and maybe inspirational to a point and I'm going to suggest that you, you consider a different perspective. And here's, I always start with this letter that I got from, uh, 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 from my uh, daughter who, who, she was a freshman, she was entering her freshman year in college. And for an entire semester, Mr. President of Delta, <laughs> Um, we didn't hear from her. And as a matter of fact, we, she, she insisted that she had to live on campus, even though she was only maybe three or four uh, uh, bus stops or uh, metro stops away here in, in Washington. But I got, I got to live, I got to have the campus experience. And, and we didn't hear from her. This was before tweets and all this social media didn't get a letter, didn't get a phone call, got nothing for a whole semester. And then at the end of the semester, she sent this letter. Dear dad, since I left for college, I've been remiss in writing and I'm sorry for my thoughtlessness and not having written before. I will bring you up to date, but before you read on, please sit down, uh, please sit down. And, um, and are you sitting down? Okay. Well, let, let me tell you that I'm getting along pretty well now. The skull fracture and concussion I got when I jumped out the window of my dormitory when it caught fire shortly after my arrival here is pretty well healed now. I only spent two weeks in the hospital and now I can see almost normally and I only get headaches once a day. Fortunately, an attendant at the gas station near the dorm witnessed my jump and he was the one who called the fire department and the ambulance. He also visited me when I was in the hospital every day. And since I had no place to live because of burned dormitory, he was kind enough to invite me to share his apartment with him. It is really a basement room, but it's kind of cute. Uh, he's a fine boy and we're, we've fallen deeply in love and are planning to get married. We haven't gotten an exact date yet, but it will be, be before my pregnancy begins to show. Yes, daddy, I am pregnant. I, am, I know how much you're looking forward to being a grandfather and will welcome the baby and give it the same love, devotion, and tender care you gave me when I was a child. Now, the reason for the delay, the letter goes on, in our marriage is that my boyfriend has a minor infection which prevents him from passing our premarital blood test and I carelessly caught it from him. I know that you will welcome him into the family with open arms. He is kind and then, and although not well educated, he's ambitious and although he is a different race and religion than ours, I know your often expressed tolerance will not permit you to be bothered by that. Now that I've brought you up to date, I want to tell you, there was no dormitory fire. I did not have a concussion or skull fracture. I was not in the hospital. I am not pregnant. I am not engaged. I am not infected. And there is not a boyfriend. However, I'm getting a D in American history and an F in chemistry. I just wanted you to see those grades in their proper perspective. Your loving daughter. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and so that's kind of what I'm, I want to do. I, I want you to see Saginaw, I want you to see your different communities in their proper perspective. 
And, and so um, let me suggest, let me deal this, let me deal with the instructional part uh, first. Um, everybody has to be at the table. Um, you, you, you have to look around and not only see who is at the table, but you also have to look around and, and, and ask yourself who's not at this table, who should be at this table. Um, and there may be people who, uh, that, you, that you may have differences with. Uh, there may be people that, uh, uh, that uh, you don't know that well, but if you're going to deal, accomplish, what, I, what you're trying to accomplish, uh, you're going to have to also put a list together of who is not at this table who should, in fact, be there. Number two, it has to be equals. I think about when, when I lived in Detroit, after the riots in Detroit in the mid-60s, they put something together called New Detroit. And some of you may remember that. You had J.L. Hudson, who was a major retailer. You had a, a, a retailer. You had the Democratic uh, Mayor Kavanaugh. And you had the Republican uh, Governor Romney. And these three, these three men came together and decided they didn't, call, they didn't call it at that time New Detroit, but they decided we're gonna to have to pull together all these people that we may have known, some we knew, some we didn't. There's some people with, with, who we know who have titles, but there's a whole group of people out there that may not have titles, but they need to be at that table. And everybody at that table, they were an equal. Um, and they put together something called New Detroit. And New Detroit was pretty much what started with the way you started. How do we address blight? How do we deal with getting proper housing? Uh, how do we uh, uh, deal with police brutality or relationships between police? How do we deal with improving uh, edu education? Um, and 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 um, improving our our our, our schools, um, and 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 out of it came New Detroit. So as you as you talk about being a phoenix coming out of ashes, the reality is Saginaw has not burned down. Saginaw has not burned down. Um, you have you go with what you have and then bring together the powers to, to be. Some of them are at the table. And then today, I had a great discussion with uh, a Bishop uh, Camp, and, and, and he said something that I, I hope is repeated. And that is, in, in your meeting, and that is before we go to the people with resources, we and because if we're going to deal with redlining, which is a problem, for example, you got to you got to go to the top. You can't you don't talk to a clerk about redlining. You got to talk to who owns that bank. You got to talk to whoever is at the top. But he said something that I think was very meaningful, and that is, you got to get your plan together. You got to have a blueprint. You you have to go with your plan in hand. This is what we've determined. This is what we need. And we've all come together. The other thing I, I mentioned in, in my interview with him this morning, and I so thank him for getting up early to be, to be with us. And, and that is, as you're discussing, do me a favor, check your politics at the door. And I mean your political label. This is not about Republican or, or Democrat. I, I, I today I talked about a Republican congressman from um, 
I think it was Montgomery, Alabama, if I'm not mistaken. And he went back to, or was it Birmingham, but he went back to his home district and bragged about <laughs> receiving money from the first infrastructure bill. And he used that money to build a, 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 a beltway or a roadway around met, his metropolitan district, only to find out he had voted against the bill. And that's why I say in politics, there are no permanent friends or permanent enemies, it's just permanent interests. And he had actually voted against the bill and then went back to his district and said, I got the money for this byway or, pan or whatever the, the major project was. Check, as you're having discussions, check your politics at the your political labels at the door. I sit on the board of the National uh, Board of Governors of the Red Cross. I sit there with corporate CEOs, heads of insurance companies, head of Apple, uh, and here I am, a lowly uh, a, a broadcaster activist. And um, when they asked me to sit on the board, I, I felt totally out of place. Um, but I told them, I learned a long time ago, as you pull people together and maybe you create a new Saginaw and you, maybe you put a board together, it might be an advisory board. It might be an ad hoc board. You want to make sure that any group that you put together, that you have what I would refer to as two of the three W's. In other words, what should each person bring to the table? Two of three W's. Work, wisdom, or wealth. That make any difference? What? Which two? Some people get on boards, or they become part of a group because they've got money, they've got wisdom, but they may not want to be at every board meeting. Some people will work hard, have wisdom, but won't have any money. But two of those three are extremely important uh, for uh, for uh, uh, success. And, 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 and then I think you have to have, you have to have honest discussion. And, and I kind of gonna kind of rush to this point. I had an interview with a young man who does a talk show there in Saginaw. And we started talking about uh, uh, the, what is, and, the, and, and it was mentioned by the president of Delta. <clears throat> what is it? Um, Crit the uh, critical um, race theory. Uh, I, I'm going to tell you. I don't know how, how, what's going on in your on your board of education meetings, but please, I don't know how you do it. Quit allowing people to argue about something that they never even heard of. Um, they. I'm, I'm, if people get into these board meetings across the country, board of education meeting, we're not going to teach. And then you get folks, we're going to take a vote. We're not going to teach critical race theory. Hell, you don't know what it is. I mean, it, 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 if you ask people who are opposed to it to define it, they could not tell you or give you a working definition of it. B bottom line, it was created by a, a law professor in, out of Harvard named Derek Bell, who, who by the way, uh, it, it, it's usually taught in law schools. It's not taught in high schools. People, you can't teach what you don't know. But what, as Henry Louis Gates said on my show this week, uh, when I was interviewing him about his new episode, Finding Your Roots, and he's from, at Harvard, he's, he said, look, People are just throwing this up because they really don't want to teach. They really don't want to teach the, the, the true aspect of, of history, of all sides of, of our history. 
And so I always, when I do uh, lectures as it, or talks about during Black History Month, I always remind people that what Black history teaches Black and white people, it teaches all of us. That Black history teaches us how to, it taught us how, it teaches how to stand up when you're told to sit down. Uh, black history teaches us how to speak out when you're told to be silent. Uh, black history teaches us to march forward when we're told to step back. And black history teaches us to persevere when the road gets rough. And th those are the lessons of black history. So let me, let me close because I, I and, and, and that it, it, with this. And, and maybe this is the inspirational part and as well as the instructional part. Um, here's what I, I, I want you to please do. Uh, as you discuss, let everything come on the table. This is a brainstorming session. There are people listening all over the, uh, all over the country. Uh, and thanks to your generosity, and allowing them to uh, to uh, uh, to tune to tune in and be part of this virtual uh, uh, broadcast, and and as I think I heard one speaker say, uh, and and that is that um, uh, that uh, that there are a lot of Saginaws in America, and these kind of discussions are are happening all over the country. Um, and then you have to ask yourself as you move forward, you know, is this going to be a moment or is this going to be a movement? And if you jump out here and say, well, it's going to be a movement, then you have to ask yourself, your organizations, your institutions, your businesses, what are you willing to sacrifice because you're on the verge of creating a movement to move Saginaw, uh, uh, to move Saginaw forward. And, and don't undervalue your community. You know, when you think about the, the great movements in our, in our, uh, in our country's uh, history, you know, you think about Montgomery, Alabama. You think about Birmingham. You think about Selma. Um, and, 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 and you understand great things came out of those uh, sometimes small communities. The other thing I would also uh, say to you I've learned over the years, uh, working with organizations, doing what all over the world. You heard you heard them talk about going to Sudan, uh, where they were. We 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 raised money to free slaves, um, and and we've been in we've been and I've been involved. Only because it, it's, 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 I don't know why. I mean, it's just, I guess it's in my DNA. But I've learned there's basically three kinds of people I've, I've run into, basically three. Those who make things happen. And you have to ask yourself, which one are you? Are you, though, are you one of those who watch things happen? And then there's the third uh, person, and that is the one who wakes up in the morning and says, what the hell just happened? And, and, and so I, I close by also wanting to send a message uh, to the young people in the room. And basically it's a message to young and old. Give the young people an opportunity to not only get involved, allow them to make mistakes. You know, uh, allow them to be part of this effort 
listen to them carefully, uh, particularly when they show you how to use uh, uh, social media, because uh, that's their, their means of communicating. I, I've said, it's interesting, uh, my wife, Sherry, who's my executive producer, uh, she says, we got to hit the streets again. We got to have marches in the streets again. And in a way, she's right. I hear you. But at the same time, isn't it amazing how with this thing we call social media, that, it, you know, I, I, I said this the other day sarcastically, you know, you can, you know, you get a, a, a what is it, a, 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 a of image on, on you know um, Instagram on on this thing we call social media of a cat scratching its ass and you get a million hits and I say that on my show down there every day we if if a million people who would sit there and 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 hit a hit a a keyboard to say they like a cat scratching its butt, you tell me that a million people can't communicate with Congress, can't communicate with cinema, can't communicate with Manchin? Um, you mean, and, 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 and so we, we've got to learn how to blend the old with the new. But let me say this in closing to the young people. This, somebody sent this to me. It's a very interesting uh, letter. And, and I don't know if it was a letter as much as it might have been an essay. And, and it, it, it's, it was titled, It's in Your DNA. And so this is my message to those of you who are much younger than, than I am, someone down the, your ancestry line survived being chained to other human bodies for several months in the bottom of a disease-infected ship during the Middle Passage, lost their language, lost their customs, lost their traditions, picked up the English language as best they could while working free of charge from sunup to sundown as they watched babies sold out of their arms and women raped by ruthless slave owners. They took names with no last name, no birth certificates, no heritage of any kind. They braved the Underground Railroad they survived the Civil War to enter into sharecropping. They learned to read and write out of sheer will and determination. Faced the burning crosses of the Ku Klux Klan, averted their eyes at black bodies swinging from ropes hung on trees. Fought in world wars as soldiers returned to America's boys. They marched in Washington, D.C., posed in Birmingham, jailed in Wilmington, assassinated in Memphis, segregated in the South, ghettoed in the North, ignored in history books, stereotyped in Hollywood, and in spite of it all, someone in your family line endured every era to make sure that you would get here where you are now and you receive one rejection, you face one obstacle, you lose one friend, you get overlooked and you want to quit? How dare you entertain the thought of quitting? People you will never know survived from generation to generation so that you could succeed. And I say to all of you right now, and particularly to the young people, 
don't you dare let Saginaw down. God bless you, and thank you very much. You can listen to yours truly, Madison the Black Eagle, live every Monday through Friday on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.